0: Divorce doesn't just affect the parents and children involved. From co-workers and employees to friends, neighbors, and spouses, the toxic fallout of divorce and years of mismanaged conflict can touch us all, all over North Carolina and America, changing the way we approach the world. Ashley Nicole Russell believes in a better way forward. Drawing on her personal and professional experience, Ashley Nicole is changing the conversation around divorce and conflict resolution as a whole providing thoughtful insight into this culture of conflict and the statistical effect on children and adults while offering collaborative strategies at home and in the workplace. It's time to find a better way forward, both individually and as a community of people across America, here on Divorce Healthy.
1: Welcome to Divorce Healthy. Thank you guys for joining us. We have an awesome guest for you today. Ginger Gentile is with us. She is a friend of mine. She is the director of a racing family documentary. And I met Ginger in Chicago, actually. And we have, we're just really on a lot of the same mission, have a lot of the same goals. And I think that we're really trying to help a lot of people in this country. And I feel like for a long time, Ginger, I said, you were coming from the West. Coast. I'm coming from the East Coast and we'll meet in the middle on this trying to change how divorce is handled in this country. So this is Ginger Gentile.
2: Hi, Ashton Nicole. Thank you so much for having me on Divorce Healthy. Absolutely. So Ginger
1: is going to talk to you guys. She did a documentary called Erasing Family. That documentary is now... Ginger, tell us, what are all the ways that that can be accessed here uh, for our listeners?
2: So we were in the midst of a sold-out community screening tour Yay. and then the, co- the COVID virus hit. like <laughs> Like everybody else, it threw the entire documentary world into disarray. And so we decided that we we're going to release it online in the fall and we just couldn't wait. So we premiered the film on April 25th, which is Parental Alienation Awareness Day. And it is available right now on Vimeo On Demand. And for $9.99, you can own the film forever. But what's also very exciting is if you go to our website erasingfamily.org, you will have a lot of resources. There's also a link there to buy bulk copies. And if people are wondering why they would want to buy 50 or 100 copies, which some people are doing, it's to send to loved ones, to family members, to kids who you can't see after divorce, but also some people are sending them to state legislatures. So we have one person who I can't say the state, but is going to send it to 210 politicians to hope to get shared parenting passed. Nice. And then also what's very exciting is we are also launching. I think this is the first of its kind, a text line for parents and children who are going through divorce ishu- issues. It's 8654 family. Wow. And if you text it, you will get You'll be able to talk to a therapist or coach who is there to offer emotional support. It is not legal advice, but it's there to let you know that you're not alone and to direct you to some correct resources. So it's more than a film and we have about 27,000, no, 28,000 followers on Facebook. And we haven't even gotten into what the film is about, but it's basically about the trauma children suffer when they can't see a parent after divorce or separation. And for some of these, it's been decades. And what we want people to know is that polling data shows 22 million parents in the U.S. alone say they are alienated or unable to see their children.
1: And just like the cure for divorce culture, you know, the documentary is so helpful in allowing people to see that 20,000-foot view, to get outside of their own space, their own case individually, their own hurt, their own pain, their own scars, their own anxiety, their own fear, and see that this is not just happening in one space in one case. This is happening all over the country. And we have to see that with each other. We have to understand that this is not individual. This is a community effort. This is a countrywide effort so that we can bring enough awareness. The documentary absolutely does that. And so now that you're able to purchase that before, you know, you had to be invited to a private screening in order to be able to see it. And now that's going to be able to be available to those who need it so that children can see it, the children whose parents have divorced, just like Ginger and I are both products of divorced families. And now we're adult children and we're trying to change how this happens to all of the rest of the children whose parents are currently going through this conflict. If they can find the cure for divorce culture, if they can find resources like Erasing Families documentary, then they can really start to see the difference, right, Ginger? So that's kind of, where we're at on this mission. So tell us about Erasing Family. Tell us about how you kind of started that before you got here to, to do this documentary and uh, what that's meant to what you've seen across the country. So many people really, the documentary means a lot to them when they hold up the card, Erased Mom or Erased Dad. It really means something to them. So tell us about that.
2: Right. So this is my third feature film, And before this film, I was living in Argentina for 13 years where I made a film called Erasing Dad. And you can see that for free on YouTube. And the reason why you can see it for free on YouTube is that when we were about to release it, it was one of the first films censored in Argentina after the dictatorship was lifted in 1983. And a lot of people in the documentary community in Argentina were surprised that a film about divorce and child custody was censored. Because you don't think of it as such a controversial issue considered to – I don't like next to Monsanto or police brutality. Yes. And the reason is that we interviewed professionals who admitted to actively erasing the father from their kids' lives. They were happy that they were doing this. They thought they were doing a good thing because all men are bad. So if you can remove the father from the home, the child is safer in general. This is what they mm-hmm. said. So it wasn't specific right. fathers, Ridiculous. it was in general – And they were surprised when people thought that was awful and they wanted the film not to be seen by anybody. And we had to fight it all the way to the Supreme Court. So we ended up putting the film on YouTube. So you can see it. It has English subtitles. And when I made the film in Argentina, nobody wanted to be interviewed because there was so much shame and taboo around this issue. And when I came to the United States, I saw that a lot of people were desperate to share their stories. I also saw that a lot of moms were being erased. And while we can still see the custody mainly goes to women in the United States, this does not mean that parental alienation and a parent being removed from a kid's lives is a gender issue. And also what I began to see when I when I came to the US was that so many kids were posting videos online talking about how they couldn't see a parent, how they couldn't see a sibling after divorce. And that really inspired me to interview the kids themselves. And so in the documentary, not only do we get an overview, I would say a very, very basic overview of how the system works and how it's adversarial and pits parents against each other, how it's unfair and expensive, but also the main protagonists of the film are young adult children who are trying to reunite with their families. And there are some happy endings, but it's bittersweet because there's all this time that's been lost. And a lot of children never get out of the loyalty bind. Yes. So they switch loyalty from one parent to another, but they can never really have a good relationship with both parents at the same time because that just opens them up to so much conflict.
1: I think that's the hallmark and the thing that was most impressive to me about the movie is that it really speaks for the children. It really is like the voice of the children that the parents never hear. It's really easy as a parent and going through something so internal and so personal and so vulnerable like a divorce to get lost in that as a parent and not really realize that your every move is being watched by your children and that their sense of their own identity and their own sense of self is being made in those moments, right in those moments. And so I think your voice of the children and your documentary of that is such an impressive piece. It reminds me of a piece of the collaborative process that we use with the parenting specialists. So they're not parenting coordinators. You know, They don't come in to make a decision as to who's the preferred custodial parent. They just come in to listen to the children, talk to the children, and then to come back to the meeting between the two parents. And when they start to fight or they start to have a controversy over where the children are going to stay or how the holidays are going to go, that person then speaks up physically in that conference as if they are the voice of the child. And they say, you know, mom and dad, whenever you talk to each other this way, it makes me feel, et cetera, et cetera. It's an incredibly moving piece. One of the other things that the child specialists have added to the collaborative process is that they're able to tell the the parents verbatim conversations of exactly the fight that they had the night before that was like 45 minutes long. Like they know exactly what's going on. And I think parents to a large degree think and live in this world where they're like, oh, we've sheltered them or they're not really affected by our conflict or it doesn't really hurt them when we're battling over child support or child custody. It's really our fight. It's not really about them. And Ginger, what you do with the documentary and I think what with Collaborative and with this podcast and with the book is really trying to expose what the children are actually going through. And us as adults, you know, we can be here to be that voice. And what is it that that you think that parents miss the most? that the children are trying to scream, but it just feels like it's not being heard.
2: So what I learned with making a racing family, because in in addition to the kids who are in the film, I also talked to a lot of kids who we filmed and didn't make it into the film or, or interviewed who didn't want to be in the film. And I got two main messages. One is that one, one young man asked me specifically, he said, please make a film about how family courts are destroying kids. And that this adversarial process of kind of winner takes all Mm -hmm. is very harmful for the children. And the other thing that I heard from the kids a lot is that they will do anything to avoid conflict. And if this means cutting a parent completely out of their life and thinking that it's their choice when it's not, they will choose that over having a relationship that leads to conflict and fighting, that kids really want to live conflict-free. And there's one young man in the film, Erasing Family, Brian, who decides to not have a relationship with his mother, never see her again, and get adopted by his stepmother. And when I asked, well, what horrible thing did your mother do? He says, nothing. It was just so stressful every time she would show up at the house for a visitation. Wouldn't it be easier not to have that stress in my life? Yes. And I don't think parents realize how the conflict itself, and then also if, the, if you're the parent who's been rejected, that if you come at this through with conflict or having to be right mm-hmm. or always, and I'll do a little PSA here, uh, <laughs> always badmouthing the other parent on social media, which your kids can see, even if you can't find your kids online, they can find you. And They're the court can see it too, are. so stop doing it. And the it. court, yes. And also everybody else, and they think that you're crazy. There's no good reason to do it. I've seen a lot of posts saying, I hope my ex gets COVID-19. Please sneeze on my ex. But even when I said, hey, not great to post this, one just started posting pictures of his ex with the caption, "a chew" underneath all of them. And so basically, like, if you are the rejected parent by... Being positive by making any time and contact you have the best possible, and just showering your child with love and understanding—that's part of the solution that needs to happen. Because if they come to you and just see conflict or a parent who's emotionally broken and devastated, then they are not going to no come to you. And and then I think what gets missed by this because a lot of people talk about like children aligning with one parent or the other, or how many young adult children, and I'd, I'd count myself in this category leave home and say, I'm not having anything to do with either of you crazy people.
1: <laughs> uh, we're both in that boat.
2: <laughs> and that, I think, really gets forgotten because I have so many parents who reach out to me and say, can you call my kid and they'll send me a phone number? I'm like, no, because that's just kind of weird. But uh, but beyond that, it's like you need to be ready for when your kids come back. And there's also strategies you can pursue legally. There's, there's things you can do Act to be an activist in this, to change laws. So, it's not just about having a custody battle to fight to when you see your kids, but a lot of parents do see their kids at some point and the relationship just doesn't work. So, what you can control is how you show up.
1: Exactly. And show up. That's the thing that you can do. These are still your choices. It's not really possible for a court to decide that you're no longer a parent. They cannot go in and genetically remove the DNA that is a part of that child's body, it will be there forever. That will always be your child. No one can take that from you unless you allow them to take that from you. And when they take one tiny little piece and you're like, fine, well, you can have it. Well, that's not going to help you get to the end game, which is to try to make sure that this child has the correct sense of identity. And so I think a big piece of this is that, you know, realizing that you just need to keep being there and being present and being, and when your child does leave home and say like we did, you know what, you're both like, I can't deal with this drama anymore. The conflict is, so intense and so heavy, it's starting to cloud my own life. That's your place as a parent to say, you know what, let's talk about this. Let's open the conversation now. Even though you're an adult, you know, things may not have been done the best way whenever you were a child and we were divorcing, but that's okay. That's okay. We all make mistakes. Parents are allowed to make mistakes. They can do it wrong. They can have had a bad divorce. We can still make it through that as adult children. Your children now are going to make it through it. They're going to be just fine. But you just need to show up and be the best role model that you can be for them on how to handle people that may not treat you the best way. If your ex spouse doesn't treat you the best way, okay. Well, neither do the people at your office and maybe the person at the grocery store whenever they took six packs of paper towels instead of the one that they were supposed to take. You know, like you have to handle conflict and model how that's done. And so I think that that's really a big piece is this. It's like an olive branch almost that the documentary I think is, and I think that the book is as well, across the aisle in an interesting way from parent to child or from child to parent, which is an interesting piece of this that a lot of people I don't think knew was going to be a part of this industry when it all started, you know? So as far as dealing with what's going on with the blame game and parents and what they have to deal with. And understanding that, you know, they're in a lot of conflict, but they do need to show up and they need to be that role model for the kids. And to try to understand that it's not about them, it is about the kids and the kids are watching. And to just try to be present in the moment with the children and present as parents. And we just, we see a lot of that. And I think erasing families, you know, you have a lot of parents coming to you looking for direction. They come to you a lot looking for direction because you've really spearheaded in a lot of ways these efforts. And so what is it that you think that they're coming to you looking for? And what is your advice that you give them? Because they seem to be so misguided in so many ways.
2: So I would say that after having made the film Erasing Family, a lot of parents are constantly asking me for advice. And the first thing I tell them is I'm not a lawyer, I'm not a therapist. And the first advice is I say, find a support group, which a lot of parents say, I don't know of any support group And there's tons of stuff online. A support group can be informal. I think every town in the United States has a divorced and separated group. And the purpose of a support group isn't necessarily to teach you how to get out of a situation, is to have a safe space that isn't public, that isn't online, where you can vent your anger, where you can see other people who are like you. So you know, you're not alone. So this is different from a coach. This is different from a consultant or a lawyer. This is, and you can't take this out on your kids, on your ex, or in a public forum like social media. So that's the first thing. It's finding it angry, but say it with a group of friends who are going through the same thing and not in a public post. Then from there, taking care of yourself, I think that the people who are able to come out of this and also who are able to reverse bad legal decisions and bad situations are people who adopt And I'm sure, you know, Cy Cy Wakeman, I haven't heard the podcast yet because while we're recording this, it isn't out, said this, accepting what is. So the family court system is messed up. It's expensive. It's unfair. Stop complaining that it didn't work out in your favor and that it's not just. I think that's that's the first step. Because then when you do that, then you can start to say, okay, how do I... Navigate the court system. How do I leave the court system and find another venue such as collaborative law or accept the settlement or start talking or work to change a law or say, this is, I'm never going to get a good day in court. I'm out of money. So I'm going to spend time making a video blog for my child because then a, a wealth of opportunities show up. And the only parents I've seen who've successfully reversed bad court decisions in court are the ones who are very cold about it. Who know that this cards are stacked against them and who are able, and usually they end up winning, not because the judge realizes they were treated poorly. It's because on some technicality, case law, constitutional thing Mm -hmm. that they're able to fight with their lawyers. And I've heard so many stories of people saying the judge finally saw what's going on, but then nothing changes in the case. Yes. So, so, so recognizing that and accepting that, and accepting that this is traumatic and horrible, but lots of people go through trauma and and, mm-hmm. and stuff that's horrible and stop. In a way, I I a lot of people come to me. I think they want to just be heard. They feel so, unless not listened to, but that this is different than trying to find a solution or be strategic about it. Mm-hmm. So, but you they know, that's why the support different. group. Yes. What do you, what do you they, mean? They that their case is different?
1: Yeah, they say their case is different. Their case is different. Well, it's not like everybody else. Well, it's not like everybody else. You know, that's always the excuse. But it's the thing is, is that it's not all that different. I've seen everything under the sun. And the people, like you said, that their are patterns. successful. Yeah, the people that are successful mm-hmm. are the ones who determine that they're going to be successful internally. Right. Like the ones get, who Yeah. I, I yeah. also
2: get a lot of parents who contact me and Say, I want you to make a movie about my case. And it's the worst case ever. And the first thing I say is (laughs) the worst case ever ended in a murder suicide that I know of where a jury awarded custody to a father and he went to pick up his son and the mother shot the young boy and herself. I'm like, do you want to have the worst case? Because that's the worst case. So don't, so don't, it's not a competition
1: exactly
2: but also i was talking 2 days ago with a young man who was trying to convince me to write a script on his movie about his about his case and literally while he was chatting me on facebook someone else chat sent me a facebook message saying i want you to make a movie about my case and then i get an email that day also saying i want you to make a movie about my case everybody wants their cases to be turned into movies and the problem is that from also a standpoint, and I know that you're active with National Parents Organization and lots of people in North Carolina trying to get uh, shared parenting, also known as joint custody, to be the default. And this needs to happen. It's a shame that there's only one state in the US, Kentucky, that has this law. If you say that your case is unique and exceptional, you are shooting the efforts to reform law in the foot. Because if you're the freaky case, then everything else is working fine. And you had some really bad luck, something crazy happen. And this isn't what we're seeing that's happening. We're seeing that this is happening to millions of people. There's also yes. tons of people who never go to family court and have a bad situation because they don't have the money to even go. They don't know how to, or they're told by a lawyer, this would happen to my dad. The lawyer said, we can fight it. It'll cost $110,000 and you'll lose. So he didn't go to court. To fight uh, a decision, you know, maybe because he found an honest, you know, an honest, you know, family law lawyer who said, you know, you'll lose and it'll spend 110000 So how many people aren't even going to court because they know of these bad outcomes? So by drawing attention to how bad your case is, you create a pity party for yourself. It's not attractive to your kid. But also, and I always tell parents, you know, if if you can't get what you want from court, there's other avenues, and one avenue is activism, but you have to be healthy. You can't sound crazy, and you have to say these cases are a pattern, and that's what legislation can respond to. No one can legislate a crazy axe. People don't understand this. Yes.
1: And it's like if everybody's person is an outside of the box scenario, Mm -hmm. an outside of the norm scenario, a not up applicable to the law scenario. Well then why are we even going to make a law if we can't make one that can at least catch all most of the cases? Mm -hmm. And the law does catch most of the cases. The cases are all have issues because these are humans and humans have issues. This is the most intimate part of life. It's your family. Families are broken because people are broken because they had broken childhoods. That's it is the part of life. And you take your brokenness and you either build a new empire with it, or you you mm-hmm. live in brokenness and you continue to be broken and right. spread it. And that's, I think the thing that we all want, the people who are active in this, who are trying to change this, is we want everyone to understand that this is a positive movement. Mm-hmm. This is, we, divorce industry happened in our country. It wasn't, no one bestowed it upon us that everybody had to get divorced. It was something that we all decided that we wanted. Then we had to create that industry. That industry came in like a wrecking ball and then had to create laws to catch up with that. The legal system is a very archaic system that's not really used to jumping and creating a bunch of laws for something and being on demand. And so that system then was broken. And now there are a a bunch of broken families out of it. And we all understand that and we have to fix it. The pendulum swung and now it's going to swing back. And so if we all realize that it's positive and we do join in that positive effort and we think about what are we going to do? If your children have been taken from you, if you've been erased, okay, what are you going to do about it? What are you what positive movements are you gonna make to be there at their sporting events, to be there at their school, to have lunch with them at school, to put a billboard up that says mommy loves you on the side of the road every time they drive to school, you know, like what are you gonna do? Because okay. you can do something.
2: Yeah, it reminds so- me of there is this woman who on Facebook posted She was like, the only place I can see my children is in school. And whenever I go, they love seeing me and they cry how much they miss me. What should I do? And I wrote, you should go to school as often as you can and see your kids. You should volunteer in the school. You should like live in that school. Mm -hmm. And then she got very angry at me. I ended up getting banned from this Facebook group. And I kept on asking, well, she asked for advice. And if she can go to the school and the school lets her and the kids want to see her, that seems like the, the obvious strategy. But what she wanted is people to acknowledge the pain that she was going through, the unfairness of the situation, which it is unfair and it's horrible. But I just want to give a shout out there to everybody who's listening. Schools can be an amazing venue and not always. There are some schools that really do play into alienation and erasing a parent. But I've seen great success for parents who go in and volunteer Without the expectation of rekindling a relationship, without jumping on their kid and hugging them and making a scene, but just by being a presence in the school, one you show people that whatever the other person is saying about you isn't true.
1: Yes, exactly. There
2: you develop a good reputation and slowly by slowly it becomes a safe space and your kids can open up.
1: Yes. But it has
2: to be done just as like I'm just gonna be at the school, I'm gonna volunteer, not even in my kids' class, I'm just gonna be in the PTA, I'm gonna bring the cupcakes. And I've I've seen great – and so finding those places where you can have leverage or also a lot of people, they don't don't even stop to ask, well, who on my ex's side of their family is a potential ally? Who actually likes me? Can I keep them in my good graces?
1: And You have to advocate for yourself. Yes. Yes. It's like you have to decide that the world's not against you and that you're a victim and that instead you are your greatest victor and the greatest revenge is a life well lived. Right. So if you start living well now, stop trying to get revenge and start getting a dream. Paint it yeah. for yourself, write it down. What do you want? What does it look like? What is happily ever after? And and happily that, ever after with your children. What does that relationship look like? Start envisioning it and right. you can
2: have it. And then I think another thing that that I think parents put a roadblock to their to to reuniting with is that they have an idealized version. And also I would say idealized version of what they want the relationship to be. And Mm -hmm. at the same time, I don't know what the word is, but a nightmarized version of what their child is going through. So everything is the result of alienation and they want to have this envisioned relationship. And I remember I talked to somebody who does reunifications and he's kind of like, he does his own thing. He's not through the courts. And he was saying that so many parents say, I want to be able to talk to my kid for an hour at a time on the phone. He goes, you know what? Kids don't talk on the phone anymore. They text. Mm
0: -hmm. And as
2: your kid gets older, especially if the relationship wasn't there, embracing everything you have instead of saying, well, I want the kid to spend exactly 50% of the time with me at this type of relationship, Mm -hmm. realizing that their kids have other stuff going on. And that also... You know, sometimes I think also people are going through this forget that also p- kids have issues and families have issues that aren't the result of divorce and mm-hmm. that not everything is the result of this one factor. And by also knowing that their kids could be getting bullied at school and that could be affecting mm-hmm. them. And especially as teenagers, the parents stop being the center of their kids lives. And to know that they have to enter in a new way at that time. Like I've seen parents saying, like, I find myself my 17 year old daughter and she won't accept discipline from me. I'm like, well, yeah, she's 17. She's not going to accept your, your discipline and your wrath, you know, like, but you you need to be flexible with stuff. And and then also, and this is just silly advice, learn how to Google and look for resources. There's so many people say there's nothing out there. And I'm like, have you Googled? Parental alienation there's so much. and your location. Have you looked at Facebook book mm-hmm. groups? Have you looked on Amazon for books like "Your Book: The Cure for Divorce Culture"? Have you yes looked through stuff? And there is stuff out there. Or like so many people say, I wish I could tell my story. And I'm like, if you go to our website, there's a portal where anyone can tell their story and send a message to their kids. Yes, but they don't. But people don't take the and, time to look for these things. Or and also one one more quick thing. When you go to courthouses, a lot of courts do have free classes and services for pro se people. And sometimes they are gendered, but they're actually open to both genders. So I was in a courthouse where they, for example, had women's services. And if you walk in, they say, oh, we'll serve male clients, the name's from the 70s, and we decide not to change Mm -hmm. the name. So ask. There's also a lot of dads groups that will counsel and help moms, So, so always ask the worst that they say is we don't, we can't help you and you're in the same spot, but you might be surprised that in your own courthouse, there might be free legal counsel, or there might be a support group for you.
1: Exactly. Always keep looking for a yes. If someone tells you no, look for somebody else who will tell you yes, because there are people who will help you. But first you have to be calm. You have to be confident and you have to be aware of where it is that you want to go. If you just go in blindly looking for help, they're not going to be able to direct you. But if you're like, I'm trying to achieve this and I need help with this, can you help me do this? Then they're going to be a lot more inclined to help you. And so I think that that's a big piece of it. I think that one of the big things, one of the messages to parents, I think a lot of parents come back in when they reunite with their kids and they want an apology. You know, like they want the children to apologize for. Not spending time with them for choosing the other parent for whatever fill in the blank. Tell me your thoughts on parents that expect to have an apology from their kids.
2: So, fortunately or unfortunately, the parent is always the giver and the child the taker. Even no matter how do they get children, no matter how little they get, they want stuff from the parents, they demand stuff from the parents, and it's not the child's job to give to the parent. We could argue that in old age and taking care of the parent, there is a responsibility. But in general, the child always receives. And also, if you think that if a child rejects you, it's because they've been poisoned against you, or influenced, or manipulated, then blaming them is the same as blaming a kidnapping victim for being kidnapped. It's it's really cruel. There's no. And I think what gets tricky here is this is very different from saying. There are rules and limits in my house. And I think this is where people get, get kind of, you know, confused about this. So one thing is that if you have your kid over and they begin to smoke cigarettes in the house, you have every right to say this is a non-smoking house. You have every right to mm-hmm. say we don't believe in smoking. And obviously I can't follow you around, but I never want to see you smoking. But that's very different. And you shouldn't let your child walk over you. Mm-hmm. This is very different from saying, I need you to reflect on how you mistreated me. Because I mean, it always amazes me. Like, what do you expect is that gonna is, that's gonna be? And that's different from in the moment saying, in our house we don't curse, at our in our house we don't yell, take a deep breath. You can't talk to your stepmom like that. That's very different from saying, mm-hmm. I want you to apologize for all the times you yelled at your stepmom.
1: Yes. No, and not in like. And it, I think people, they don't understand why that is that you're not supposed to do that. And so I think we should just have a moment to, to speak on why this doesn't make sense. So children are in a situation that they're just responding to. They didn't choose that situation. They were put in it. They didn't elect to be in the situation. They're just responding to the energy around them. And so whatever they're doing is their best effort in self-preservation. They're too young to be doing anything else. If they're not talking to one parent or to another parent, it's their best effort in self-preservation, which means the least amount of conflict because their brains are focused on other things and they can't be focused on other things if they're dealing with their parents' conflict. And so this is a big deal for parents to remember that if you're in the middle of one of these issues and then you also get into a conflict directly with your child, in addition to the, the spouse that you have conflict with. You're creating a situation that will only snowball.
2: Exactly. Very, very well said. That drawing into, drawing the conflict in, by, by drawing your child into, to conflict, they will do everything that they can to escape it. And also, I've interviewed two kids who didn't make it into the film who had severe alienation cases. And by that, I mean no contact at all from almost birth with the father. Wow. So in one case when the father located the daughter on Facebook's a friend said is this your daughter and he said I honestly have no idea I haven't seen her since she was 5 months old so I don't know if that's her and I, I met them and they don't look anything alike. So it it, it was the daughter but like there, there was no way he was like a heavy man and very dark, she was blonde and very thin like no way you would see you would get this. And she said that she, and then, as soon as she met her dad, within a week she moved into his house to live with him. Wow! And he wanted to tell her this story, and it was—you can probably imagine—if he didn't see her for eighteen years, it was trying. It was pretty horrific. You know, there was like mm-hmm. small-town sheriffs running him out of town, ruining mm-hmm. his business, like the whole nine yards. It was there, and he really wow. held held off on telling her anything. She would still speak to her nice. mom occasionally, and she said, "Yeah, the reason why I'm with my dad is." Unlike at my mom's house with my dad, I know what unconditional love is. Yes. Yes. And it wasn't, I heard all the horrible stuff that happened. I heard all the horrible stuff my mom did. Just like, wow, this is a great place to be. I feel really safe here. And I don't want to know about the past. She even said, the past is the past. Let's move on. And you could tell he really wanted to tell her everything that happened. And I recorded without her present what happened. And I remember like one of the assistant editors reviewing the footage, she goes, my God, what a horror story. Like this like is like, it's crazy what happened. And like everything this man went through, he ended up having four heart attacks from the stress. Like the the whole thing was horrible, but he really bit his tongue and was able just to focus on the present with his daughter. And I also know of another story of of a young woman who reunited with her father after 15 years of zero contact. And they reunited at 21 and he had her for a while and he was accused of kidnapping. He wasn't kidnapping, he actually had custody of her, but that was the story she was told. Your father was a kidnapper, kidnapped you, blah, blah. And after about six months of them being reunited, she he asked her, well, so what do you think of me? And they were having a great relationship. And she goes, oh, you're the kidnapper. You, you're the guy who kidnapped me. And what's interesting there is... The emotions, the love and the relationship came first and her discourse from the mom was still present. Mm -hmm. And he just said, okay, if you ever want to look at stuff, I have everything. And if you don't, it's there for you, but it's, it's up to you if you ever want to look at what's going on. And he was also able not to argue and explain. And he also said, Mm -hmm. that's just the words, but the relationship we have is great. And he chose to focus on that rather than clearing his name of saying, I actually had custody of you. I wasn't kidnapping you, you know, Mm -hmm. and I think that that's just very important is not wanting to be right. And and also, Mm -hmm. I will acknowledge some kids do want to look at papers. They do want to investigate everything, but that doesn't always happen. And a lot of parents, the saddest thing I think I I hear is I've been in court for 18 years or 12 years or 10 years. The judge hates me. It's cost me so much money. I know I'm going to lose. But I'm just doing this so one day when my kid asks, I can show them that I fought for them. And I say, well, what if they never ask? And it's ask? heartbreaking. What if they never ask? Yeah. What if they don't care? You could have been doing this to change a law. You could have been creating. Yes. You could be writing letters. You could be video recording and posting this online. And I, I always tell parents, you know, buy the URL of your kid's name, or if that's taken, your kid's name plus I love you or something, and just post videos on Christmas, on their birthday, every once in a yes. while, always say when. So that way, if you're going to post once a year, they don't think that if, that you're forgetting them for the rest of the year. So if you're going to do it only on their birthday, say, I'm going to post once a year on their birthday. So that way they're not like, yeah. oh, they're only posting once a year. And to say like, hey, this is what we're doing. Wish you were here. Never say I miss you. Never make it like this horrible story. Make it positive. If you're at a family reunion, you're like, hey, here with the cousins. Hey, can't wait to see you. Maybe next year you'll be at the reunion with us. Until then, we're so proud of you, but not like, we miss you. And if you could just come home, Yeah. Um, you're breaking my heart because then the kid feels bad and a burden.
1: And they can't control it.
2: Yeah. Yeah. like And, and, it's, and, and kids also, they feel if they're loved too much, and this is kind of weird, but this is also happens in intact families. If the kid feels like they're too important for their parent, they also feel that as a burden and, and want to reject that. And I know this because my mom would do this. She would always write birthday cards to me saying like, I would throw my body over lava to save you. <laughs> and I remember when I was about 13, I just said, could you please stop writing in birthday cards? Like, can you
1: just bring it down? I don't want to open the
2: birthday cards anymore. So, so kids feel that because then they're like, how can I ever live up to this? Or then they start saying, well, I don't love my mom that much. I would never throw my body over. I don't deserve this. And it becomes this whole weird thing. So just say like, I wish agree. you were here. Maybe... It, maybe next Christmas you can be here and we have presents waiting for you, you know? And then, and
1: at the end of the day, mm-hmm. it's pick a thing that you're trying to achieve. Right. So the thing that people are coming to us for is they want to have a relationship with their children. Right. They want to have custody of their children. That means I want to have a relationship with my children. I want them to be a part of my everyday life. That's what that goal is. So then formulate what that goal looks like and then be achieving that. Set up an email account where you send an email every other day or whatever. And then when they get to a certain age, or you finally are able to talk to them, you just give them access to the email, like you said, or a website. There are so many things that you can do to feel like you're making forward progress. Even if other people aren't seeing it, it's about how you have set a goal and you're working towards that goal. It's not about proving anyone wrong or proving your reputation. All of that's your ego anyway. That's the narrative you're playing in your mind that other people are watching you or that other people care or all of these other things. That's not really the reality of your life and always be careful about that. And I think this is the work that we're doing. Ginger's doing great work. We're doing great work here at A and R Law and with the Cure for Divorce Culture. And of course on divorce healthy. So thanks so much, Ginger, for coming on so that we can be really the voice of the kids and an understanding in this mission that we're on and in this just trying to create a level of awareness. I think that's what we're all trying to do here. And you're doing such an amazing job of that. So thanks so much for all that you're doing for our country and for all of the parents who are going through this. Thank you
2: so much, Ashley Nicole, for all that you're doing with uh, all of your advocacy. And I love the book, A Cure for Divorce Culture. Everybody should read it. And just so people can find the film, it's at erasingfamily.org. That's the easiest way to get all the resources. To see the text line where you can text and a counselor will respond with some tips and advice. And so it's a You can watch the film on Vimeo and you can gift it to politicians, friends, or even your own kids. And one last thing, if you do send it to your kids, you, and they're not talking to you, maybe have someone else do it or just say, I want to, what's your opinion on this? What do you think? But not this film is about you to say, what do yes. you think about it? I'd love to hear your opinion.
1: Open the conversation. Yes. yes. Open the conversation. Open the conversation and listen. Just get to know, get to know. But we're here for you. So contact us at a Law or find us with The Cure for Divorce Culture. And of course, here on the podcast with Divorce Healthy, come back and see us for next month's episode. And we're going to be here providing all the information that you need to know to help you get through this in a healthy way, to help you get through this in a peaceful way, and to help you make it out on the other side of this in a positive way. And so we're here for you. Thanks again, Ginger. Thank Have a great night. Great day, everyone. Bye.
0: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Divorce Healthy, your guide to mastering conflict resolution at home and in the workplace. To inquire about speaking engagements, purchase your copy of Ashley Nicole's book, The Cure for Divorce Culture, or to schedule your private orientation meeting, head to www.anrlaw.com. You can also find us on social media at ANR Law. Find a better way forward right here on Divorce Healthy.